0: Welcome to this edition of a Last Watch. We are here in the studio with. It's a spe- yeah, anytime you're in the studio, you're a special guest. You're Thank special you. to me. I am special. We have Mrs. Legume, aka the old lady. Um, and we've got uh, every episode of a Last Watch is, is special. And we've got a special episode here. Today, we're going to talk about the release of my new book, uh, Squatch Cop investigating and documenting the Bigfoot phenomenon. Uh, you know, last time that uh, I had a book come out, we kind of did a, a release party. We had a live uh, streaming thing. You know, we gave out prizes. We did stuff like that. Uh, this time, you know, I decided kind of not to go that route, not to have that much fanfare, and uh, kind of did like a soft release, and we're going to do uh, something a little... you know a bigger release, maybe uh, here next month. But um, I wanted to make sure that we had copies on hand. Uh, we're going to be at the Smoky Mountain Bigfoot Conference uh, later this month. Just here in a couple of weeks. What is that? Is that the July twenty third? I believe is the day day for that.
1: That sounds right. Yeah. That's Saturday. And,
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna have copies there uh, at our booth where you can pick those up uh, live and in person and get them autographed. Uh, by me uh, and the old lady if you wish because she uh, participated in the book as well she is the editor and um, I think you signed up you've signed up a couple of books
1: I don't remember if I did I I know I was really good at selling the books (laughs) apparently I'm a pretty good carnival barker but as far as signing them I don't really remember signing any of them but yes you're right this is the second book I've edited and I'd like to think I got a little bit better the second time around
0: yeah so I'm going to read the, um, the back of the book just to give people an idea of what it's about. Obviously, my last book was about the, the history and, and the lore surrounding uh, Port Chatham. Uh, this one, it's a little bit different. It's not quite a Bigfoot book, but it is. Uh, it's kind of me taking my two worlds of law enforcement and Bigfoot and combining them and basically talking about how you can combine law enforcement techniques into your search for Bigfoot. So I'm going to read the back of the book here, give everybody an idea of what it's about. Uh, you may hear some background noise. That's the dogs down here in the, um, in, in the, the studio with us. They cannot figure out why we are here <laughs> both together, both in here and, and paying attention to this microphone and not them. And it's, uh, there, there may be some whining here. It's breaking soon. their little hearts. Yeah. So this is the, uh, the back page the description of squatch cop and every time i read something on the on the podcast i it goes horribly wrong okay. I, I like mispronounce something terribly or read so, read it with the wrong inflection so we'll see we'll see how it goes i wrote this we'll see how it goes okay ignored by mainstream science the burden of proving the existence of bigfoot has been thrust upon amateur researchers and citizen scientists bigfoot enthusiasts have taken to the woods with little or no training and how to collect, document, and preserve the evidence they discover. In Squatch Cop, Investigating and Documenting the Bigfoot Phenomenon, retired police investigator Larry Beans Baxter provides a detailed guide for those hoping to find and collect evidence of Bigfoot and other cryptid phenomena. Drawing on his years working in law enforcement in Alaska, the author details the best methods and practices for documenting and collecting evidence, including... included. included are chapters on how to photograph, collect, and store physical evidence, collecting DNA evidence, as well as interviewing witnesses and report writing. This book is an important addition to the library of any serious enthusiast who wants to spend time in the field searching for the elusive Bigfoot. That was great. Yeah, there's only one little flub there, and then you've got the the dogs snorting in the background, so hopefully that didn't didn't detract from anybody's uh, ability to comprehend what I was saying there. And uh, so what we're going to do, this is going to be kind of a a interview type uh, podcast where you're going to ask me questions about the book because it would just sound really weird if I just sit here and I could, I guess I could do different voices and be like, uh, Beans, what were you thinking when you wrote this part? And I could go, whoa, you see, I was thinking this, but I think that would be a little weird. So we're going to, we're going to sit here and talk about, uh, you're going to ask me some questions about my work on the book and I'm going to ask you some questions on your work on the book and the dogs are hopefully going to lay down and take a nap here. Very soon, because I think they're starting to slow down. They're, they're starting to lay down. Of course, they're not laying in the beds. They're going to lay like right next to us where they can snore.
1: Yeah, it goes from snorting to now uh, snoring yeah. <laughs> once they fall asleep. <laughs> okay, well, if you're ready, then I think I'll I'll start uh, with my first oh. question. And this is a big one. <laughs> How does it feel to complete your second book?
0: You know, I I mean, when I finished the first one, I was like, Oh my God! I just wrote a book, and when I finished the second one, I was like, "Oh my God! I just wrote." A book. <laughs> so there wasn't really um, a big distinction between the two. I felt both were, you know, accomplishments, and I mean, there were certainly times when I was writing both of them where I was like, eh, "I don't know if I'm, you know, if I can finish this. I don't know if," I... and I, I did go a little bit past my self-imposed deadline. Um, you know, abandoned came out in, I believe it was March and I kind of wanted to get this one out at the same, around the same time. And I ended up going a couple of months over and, uh, some of that was my fault. Some of it, you know, was that I had other things going on and I couldn't sit down and work on it. <clears throat> but, um, you know, I think I'm, I'm kind of shooting for a book a year kind of schedule and I've already started on the next book, which I think is probably, something you're going to ask me about later. But, um, I think just finding that, that groove in there, it's still, it's still relatively new to me, the whole writing thing and, uh, getting done with the second book. I was almost just as excited as when I got done with the first one. And, you know, when we got the the copies in the mail, it's always like, oh my gosh, you know, like I made this, this is mine. And it's always kind of a sense of accomplishment. And, um, I was not quite as excited when the copies, the proof copies showed up for the second one, but I was still pretty excited. So uh, it was definitely something that I don't think a whole lot of people get to experience. And I feel very lucky to have gotten one out a little long too.
1: So even though the second book took longer to write, was it easier to write than the first one? Like, did it feel like you had more experience since you put one out already? Like this one went more smoothly or... Harder or easier
0: the second one? I think this book was probably easier because I was dealing less with like dates and history and historical facts. And, you know, I didn't have to like stop and check like, okay, well, what date did this happen? What date did that happen? I didn't have to like research as much because this book draws more on my training and experiences in law enforcement than it does on uh, historical data. There were a few chapters where I, you know, uh, I got to go pull out this notebook or I got to go pull out this uh, textbook that I got in this class or that class. Uh, I pulled my uh, interview and interrogation textbooks out from the, the class that I took on that. Uh, I pulled out my uh, homicide investigation folder, The that's a binder really, it's not a folder, and uh, looked over a few things in there just to kind of refresh my memory and to make sure that I was putting the right stuff in the book. But uh, otherwise, it was pretty much just me sitting down and, and typing as opposed to the last one where there was a lot of me like stopping and looking something up or stopping and verifying something or what was the date that this happened and, you know, what date did, uh, you know, this happened in Port Chatham. And so it was a little bit more of a just I'm going to sit down and type experience.
1: So what exactly inspired you to write this book I mean why does the world need a squatch cop book
0: well and that's uh, that's a good question and I think that and by the way I didn't I didn't have any input on these questions she came up with these on her own um, <clears throat> I thought that there's a lot of stuff out there where you can watch people look for Bigfoot and sometimes they use you know forensic Uh, techniques or tools or stuff like that, but they never really show you or tell you like, this is why we're doing this, or this is how we do this. And there's a lot of, there's not really any training out there. Like police officers, even if you're just a, a lowly patrol officer, you get training on how to collect evidence you get training on you know how to not contaminate a crime scene and for somebody that wants to collect evidence say looking for bigfoot there's not a whole lot of sources that you can go to to get training in that kind of thing and you know i know there are some organizations out there that offer some excursions where they can teach you some some i'm not exactly sure what they teach but i've heard they teach uh some some uh, stuff on evidence collection. Uh, But honestly, you know, not everybody has the time or the money to do that. So I thought, man, wouldn't it be nice if there was something and it's almost in my mind, I think a Squatch cop is a textbook. It's, it's all, it's like a textbook of how to collect. And really the theme of the book is documentation. And I think that it just really, I wanted something out there that people could turn to to say, okay, if I find some evidence, how do I document it? Um, You know, we've all ran into that. You know, if you've been in the Bigfoot community for very long, you've run into that one person that says, man, you know, I had these really awesome pictures or I had, you know, I found some hairs or I, you know, I had this or I had that. And now I don't know where it is or, you know, I can't find it or, you know, this happened to it or that happened to it or, or they show you a picture and there's, this is my pet peeve is they'll show you a picture and there's no scale in the picture. So you have no idea like, yeah, it looks like a bare footprint. Is it three inches long or is it 13 inches long? You know, it's, it's hard to tell with no scale. So I wanted to put something together that could help those people (laughs) to, uh, document, and and collect the stuff that they find out in the woods
1: so out of all the police training you talk about in your book and it is quite extensive the different subjects what was your favorite class or favorite training you received out of all of it
0: well my favorite class i think of all time was a homicide investigation class i went to in um, at the southern police institute in louisville kentucky it was a i believe it was a two-week class and it didn't really focus on one particular uh, discipline. It was just kind of an all-encompassing hom- homicide class. Uh, there was a bunch of different sections, a bunch of different instructors. I think we had a different instructor almost every day. And uh, that was probably my favorite class that I ever attended. Um, I don't really have a favorite subject as far as like, you know, uh, forensic or evidence collection, come you know, goes... Um, but it's, it all kind of, it all kind of comes together. It's something, you know, you've got to take a little bit out of uh, this, this, uh, subject and a little bit out of that subject. You got to put them together and hopefully, you know, you can, um, use those to properly document and collect evidence.
1: Hmm. So how did you come up with the title Squatch Cop?
0: Well, Squatch Detective was taken. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Steve Coles has has that distinction and he's been using that for a few years now. And I don't know. I just kind of wanted something that was that was catchy and, you know, Squatch Cop. It's 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 quick. It's it's catchy. And it just kind of rolls off the tongue pretty easy. And, you know, it combines squatching and law enforcement, you know, the Squatch Cop. And that's that was my goal with the book was to combine those two genres so that's kind of how I come up with the, um, with the title. Hmm.
1: I think it kind of sounds like a, an old school police, uh, TV show, like Starsky and Hutch. Like it's like, Squatch Cop. <laughs> and then expect some like retro music, uh, playing. So I've read the book multiple times. Of course I had to do to editing and well, I'd want to anyways, cause it's your book. But, um, Out of all of it, I think my favorite chapter is um, where you talk about interviewing witnesses, and that's chapter 14. And I just want to read the first paragraph here um, because I think it really sums up how unique interviewing Bigfoot witnesses are here. Let's see, as stated previously, interviewing witnesses can arguably be described as the bread and butter of Bigfoot investigation. For a creature that is camera shy and leaves little to no physical evidence, speaking with those who have caught a glimpse of the elusive creature can be the only insight we can get. An articulate, attentive witness interview can be a veritable goldmine of information. And when I read that paragraph, it kind of it wasn't really a light bulb going off, but I realized, oh yeah, that's a really good point. There is so little physical evidence of Bigfoot that witnesses really are the most common um bit of evidence that you can find so I didn't realize it till I read that paragraph that how right that was and I do like how you write the paragraphs you kind of have an informal introduction you'll give an example of how um, the training you talk about is used in police work and then you really break it down for people how they can use it um, in Bigfoot research so out of all the chapters though did you have a favorite
0: I think as far as Squatchcock goes I think I don't I, I don't necessarily have a favorite chapter but I think the most important chapters are the one on interview and interrogation, because that is where you're going to see a real lack of experience and training as far as it goes with uh, Bigfoot investigators and researchers. Because, you know, you know, you can you can watch forensic files. You can watch, you know, a bunch of shows where they. Uh, talk about the collection of evidence and you can pick up pointers there and you can figure out, okay, well, you know, if I'm going to pick up something off the ground, I need to be wearing gloves. You know, I need to put it in this type of bag. This is the best type of environment to store it. You know, you can, you can, you can pick all that kind of stuff up, but there's not a ton of information out there uh, regarding witness interviews and signs of deception when you're interviewing someone. And that was kind of my, my, impetus to put that in there because there's just as far as I know, and I'm sure somebody somebody will probably say like, well, so and so talked about it in this book. But as far as I know, there's not a lot of information out there uh talking about interviewing witnesses, how to conduct an interview, how to schedule an interview. You know, a lot of people don't realize that's an important part of the interview process is scheduling the interview, finding a place distraction free where you can sit down and have an interview. I think I put it in one of the chapter uh, on scheduling the interview about like you know maybe uh meeting uh at your local mcdonald's and sitting next to the the kids play area maybe that's not the the smartest place to meet or the best place to meet because you're going to have a bunch of kids running around screaming hollering and you know maybe you might not be able to focus on the interview uh like you should although i think I don't think any McDonald's have play areas anymore. I think those are all gone because of liability reasons. But, um, you know, you you get my point. But I think the interview and interrogation is probably the most important chapters. Well, I say interrogation. You're not going to interrogate a witness uh, in Bigfoot investigations. But uh, you get my point. I I think the investigation chapters are probably the most important.
1: So I know you touched on this a little bit, uh, the difference between abandon and Squatch cop but can you tell me like what felt different about writing the two books though did it feel more was Squatch cop even though it came out a little longer you know the for you to write it it took longer did it feel different writing it was it more like you know oh this is easy i just have a lot of information though to convey versus abandon was more difficult or what's the difference between the two feeling wise
0: well the the thing with abandon is that book wasn't so much released as it escaped. Like basically I could have probably kept writing on abandoned this entire time. Uh, and, and I probably, if, and people that listen to my podcast know why uh, I probably could have written another book on Port Chatham and I've decided not to for reasons, but you know, I felt that um, writing this book, it, it flowed a little bit easier. I didn't have to do quite as much research but um, I felt that Abandon was more, it, it was a broader subject. You know, you're talking about a, a, a piece of land that has, you know, a history for that stretches, you know, decades. And this was more of a textbook style, like, this is how you do this. This is how you should do this. Uh, it's a little bit more matter of fact. You know, there was a finite amount of information to put in this one, whereas Abandon was just like, I, I had to reach a point where I was like, I think this is about all that I can get in this book if I want to get it out on a cer- at a certain time. Um, I mean, I could have kept trying to find, and I've had people come come uh, re- contact me since *Abandon* was released, and you know, want to talk to me about *Port Chatham*. Uh, but uh, I felt that um, you know, this book was a little bit easier for me to write because it was me, like basically uh writing you know my you can hear the dog snoring so bad (laughs) (laughs) i i lost my train of thought uh basically yeah i thought that um you know this book was a little bit easier to reach a point where i was like i have put as much information in here as i feel needs to be out there Uh, i didn't want to go too deep into some subjects because obviously i don't want people to know all the you know i don't want people to know how to evade an interrogation you know I don't want people to know how to to do stuff like that how to commit crimes and get away with it so I kind of tried to walk a line where I was like this is the information you need to know to collect the evidence um, and document it so that it would stand up in a court of law although it shouldn't have to uh, but not like, this is how you, you know, murder someone and not leave any, <laughs> any DNA evidence behind. So I kind of, I kind of tried to, you know, just put the, just, just put the simple facts in there that your basic everyday researcher would need to know.
1: Do you mean like that show, uh, Dexter helped people, uh... <laughs>
0: I've, I've seen so many m- murders or so many like true crime podcasts and stuff that will talk about something that happened. And they all mention, like, how the person that committed the crime, like, was a fan of the show or loved the show. And,
1: Oops. Yeah. <laughs> well, now that you have two books under your belt, I would consider you, obviously, to be an expert at this point. Or at least to me, because I don't have any books published. What advice would you give a writer working on their very first book?
0: Uh, my two pieces of advice would be to uh, read and write. So... I think that's kind of um, just uh, what any author, I think, would would put out there is uh, just uh, read, read what interests you and, you know, jump out of your comfort zone a little bit and read some things that you're not quite familiar with or some genres that you're not quite into and uh, write and and just just practice writing, uh, write whenever you can and, you know, set little deadlines for yourself, just write, just practice writing, uh, try and get some, some feedback on what you write and um, just read and write as much as you can.
1: So now that you have published two books, one thing about putting your work out there is now you have put it out there for people to criticize. So how do you deal with negative book reviews?
0: Not very well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Actually, I, I, there's a a author I follow. I think we're going to talk about maybe here in a little bit but there's an author that I follow and he recently put out a podcast where he basically was reading reviews of his latest book, bad reviews and just kind of addressing them. And I was like, man, I want to do that. And I, I was like, "Maybe." and I thought about doing it in this podcast. I was like, well, no, maybe reading bad reviews of my first book probably isn't a good thing to do <laughs> if I'm trying to sell my new book. So that's going to come out eventually, but, um, uh, not, not in this podcast. Uh, you know, I understand if somebody reads the book and they just, for whatever reason, they don't like it. They don't get it. It's not their thing. Um, But what drives me crazy is when somebody leaves a bad review and they obviously either... They they either didn't comprehend what I was trying to convey and maybe that's on me. Maybe it's, you know, I'm a first-time author and I didn't, you know, maybe I didn't, write you know, convey it correctly. But then you have reviews where... It seems like they did you know other people did understand what i was trying to convey Uh, you know there's one review where the guy is like all he wrote about or the whole book was just about how he didn't bring the right gear on the expedition or something like that that was one sentence and one paragraph of a 150 page book and that was what he decided the book was about i i I don't know i don't know how you come to that conclusion um i mean i i don't know it just it it baffles me and then you know he gets a voice and he gets to voice that opinion on my work and even though i disagree with it i mean that was his interpretation of it and uh it, it does it bruises the ego i don't care you know how how tough you are if somebody you know tells you that something you did is crap it's gonna affect you somehow and i i don't know i i I read the reviews and I I dwell on it a little bit and I'm like, well, how can I fix this in the future? Some of them, you know, obviously are okay. Well, yeah, I can change, you know, I can maybe fix that or I can change that or I can do this better. I can do that better. Uh, But some of them are just like, okay, well, this person's just being mean or this person's just, you know, not, not being uh, constructive. And that's another thing that drives me crazy is the people that will leave us a review but they don't write a review. Uh, they'll just, they'll just click the well, stars. They, rate it without yeah, they, it. they click the stars and they don't leave a review. Well, that doesn't help you help anyone really. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you, if you write down why you didn't like it, maybe in the future, you know, the person that provide any product, not just books uh, can try to improve it. Uh, you know, if you write down why you didn't like it.
1: Yeah. You can't improve without constructive yeah. criticism
0: and oh yeah and there was well we'll get into it when i address the bad reviews Yeah, we'll save that for it. your future bad yeah review uh yeah podcasts. but yeah it's just you know i understand if somebody doesn't like it that's fine there's things that i read that i didn't really care for but uh you know you have to you have to give the person some some feedback as to why you didn't like it and um maybe they'll fix it in the future i don't know i mm. there there are people out there that um hate Bigfoot stuff and hate anything to do with Bigfoot yet can't seem to stop reading and watching shows about it I don't I don't quite understand it
1: <laughs> glutton for punishment <laughs> so I'm a little curious here you know I'm of course gone during the day you know I work outside of the home you know you work inside of the home so I'm not really sure what your writing schedule is like all I know is you obviously were being productive because you wrote a second book but what was your writing schedule like?
0: Well, it kind of varied from day to day. I tried to have structure, but, you know, obviously some days like there was other, you know, there were things going on and I couldn't devote as much time to it. Generally, what I try and do is I devote a few hours a day to my side hustle, you know, the, the one that pays bills. And then when I get as much of that done, I sat down and I was like, okay, I'm going to write, um, a chapter, or I'm going to write this, or I'm going to write that. You know, I try and set little, little deadlines, you know, little little goals, short-term goals. Uh, sometimes I meet them, sometimes I don't. Uh, I don't necessarily write every day, but, uh, you know, at least three or four times, you know, I just set like, okay, well, this week I'm going to work on this, and that week I'm going to, you know, next week I'm going to work on this, and just set little short-term goals and try and meet them. Um, you know, sometimes I might, uh, I might write for an hour a day. Sometimes I might write for two or three hours a day. It just kind of depends. Uh, generally I wouldn't, if I started writing and get like in the pocket or in the groove, like I'm like, I can't stop until I finish this. Like I have to get going. Um, but uh, there's other days where it's like, okay, well I'm not really feeling it today. I'm going to finish out, you know, this chapter or these couple of paragraphs and I'm going to, you know, go do something else. So I try and keep it structured, but at the same time, Like, if it's going to affect the quality of the work, then I'm like, okay, well, maybe today's not the day that I need to, like, write this really involved chapter where I have to, really be super detailed.
1: It's best to walk away sometimes. Yeah. So, because you are working from home, and we do have two adorable French Bulldogs, who I'm sure you've been able to hear this entire time, they're snoring, have the fur babies ever interfered with your writing?
0: Yes, that's a big 10-4. That's a Texas size 10 four, as they'd say on Letterkenny. Because um, like I said, I tried to be structured. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write for the next hour, hour and a half, two hours, whatever it may be. And I have I agree to that. Like, okay, Beans, that sounds reasonable. We're going to sit down. We're going to write for the next two hours. But that doesn't necessarily mean they agree to it. So uh, there's been many a times where... I'll be writing and they'll come up and, or one of them especially will come up and be like, Hey, we got to, you know, we got to go outside and play, or we got to go outside and do this. And eventually I got to the point where I kind of like, okay, if I take them outside and, and play with them for this amount of time, it'll wear them out enough that they'll go to sleep and I can be productive. So I, I eventually started incorporating playtime into my schedule so that I could wear them out a little bit and sit down and get a little bit more work done. But um there were some days where you know they would, and they go to groups sometimes they have um a service we have a service that comes picks them up and they go out and they play with other dogs and there were times where they would come back from that and just you know bam they're out and they sleep and there were other times they'd come back from that and they'd be running around you know chasing each other barking at me crazy and <laughs> it's kind of tough to predict sometime but yeah they they would definitely um interfere (laughs) uh with the process but that's not you know that's not their fault they don't know what i'm doing i'm just sitting here not paying attention to them
1: so it sounds like one of the things an author needs to be is flexible because you're not always going to be able to write even when inspiration strikes so you talked about um people need to read and people need to write you know even if they're just writing down their thoughts in a journal but are there any other ways that you recommend for people to improve their writing skills
0: yeah, I mean, I think that um, there's there's several different uh, books and classes that you can take. And, you know, I'm a, a member of a couple of different author groups um, on social media. And after, after my first book come out and we were talking about it, you know, and I know you put a lot of work into editing both books. And I was hearing in these author groups, I mean, it's almost like a, uh, like a, a, a religion for uh, grammarly, and that's like this. Uh, it's a program that is it's electronic editor is what people call it, and I thought, man, I next book we're gonna do it, and honestly, I, I you know, because people swear on those author groups, they swear by it. Swear by it, like you had. Like that's one of the first people. Like the first thing you do is you run it through Grammarly, <clears throat> and basically, as soon as the book was done, we did. You know, I ran out, or I say ran out. Uh, you know, I got online, I uh, signed up for it, and it's actually a subscription service, which I thought was a little weird. Um, and honestly, I I wasn't super impressed with it. Um, there were a few errors that it caught, but there were a few I thought that slipped through that I wasn't really you know thrilled with. And a lot of times it would just want to change around the wording of my sentence sentences. And some of them, I thought it changed for the better. Some of them I thought, man, that makes, that makes it make even worse sense or even less sense. And I think that probably what it is, is there's a certain level of writer that would really, really uh, benefit from it. And I think I'm probably not at that level. I think, you know, I know this is going to sound totally egotistical, but I think I'm a I'm too I'm a better writer than than the kind of writer that needs grammarly.
1: <laughs> or it might have been the kind of books you were writing. Maybe it's more for people writing um, fiction because both of your books now are nonfiction books. Maybe it's not really helpful for nonfiction.
0: Maybe um, I I don't know. I just I really I thought it was going to be like I'm going to run this through here and it's going to be ready to publish, and that was not the case. Mm-hmm.
1: So does writing for you, does it give you energy? Like when you're done writing a chapter, do you feel like energized? You're like, okay, I'm ready to go do something else now. Or does it completely sap your strength? Like is writing exhausting to you?
0: No, I, I don't find it to be exhausting. And I, I do find it like if I write, if I finish something and I'm like really excited about it, or I think it went really well, you know, I can, I, I really have like a sense of excitement about it. Like, oh, I can't wait to, I can't wait for somebody to read this. But, um, yeah, I don't – it doesn't really tire me out. And um, it's, it's kind of uh, – it kind of relaxes me in a way, especially if I can get into the pocket and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm writing and I, the ideas are flowing and I can, you know, get it out and articulate it well. Uh, you know, it's kind of invigorating.
1: So I felt like at least once the book was done, I felt like the editing – Um, Getting the author copy and then the actual final product was much faster this time around But do you think the publishing was easier this time around or just as difficult the first time?
0: Well, I think I think it was actually for some reason I want to say it was a little bit more difficult this time Um, Especially with the formatting. I, I don't know why we seemed I know we had problems with the formatting before and then again this time we had problems with the formatting and then uh, the title design, uh, you know, I had it in my head, really for both books, I had in my head, like, this is what I want the title to look like, um, or the front page, you know, I had the the picture of the cabin on Port Chatham, and I'm like, I want that to be the cover of the book, and then with this one, I had the image of the the Bigfoot track with the crime scene tape across it, <clears throat> and just, for whatever reason, the the options that we had as far as the templates to, to make the cover, they didn't quite, they didn't quite gel with what I had in mind. I mean, we made it work, but you know, I had to make some, um, we had to make some, uh, what do you call it? We basically had to, to make some, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm a writer. Um, do you think I'd be able to you this? You had concessions? <laughs> yeah. We had to make some concessions, uh, as far as the cover, um, I know there was like, we got done with the cover and then the, I thought we were done with the cover. Cause I was like, this is, this is as good as we can make it. This is the only size. These like fonts are going to let us use. And then we got the, the proof copy in and you're like, Oh, I think we should change the size of this. And I was like, I'm done. That's it. I'm not. Cause I thought we were done with the cover and then you wanted to make changes to it. I was like, ah, fuck. yeah,
1: I was a little frustrated on the lack of choices and the ability to customize. So when the author copy came in, my first thought was, Oh, we should make the title of the book bigger and your name smaller, so that way you know the title really pops out. But it didn't really let us do that. It didn't really make any sense to me. Like, I don't understand why. As long as you stay within the parameters, the borders for the printing, why on earth can't you just make something a little smaller without it messing up the entire design? So it's almost like they're expecting people to not have any experience customizing, um, or maybe you know working with like working with a website. A lot of places they expect you to have no experience at all so they're just going to hold your hand and they're almost going to limit your creative ability because of that i felt like it was the same way it's like no i can handle it can you let me customize this a little more but it really wouldn't let us do that you know you don't even have that option they really want you to choose these specific specific templates and that's all you get
0: yeah and i i think the reason for that is probably because you know they only have i mean they only give you so many choices. Like the book can be this big or the book can be this big and they want, they want to make sure there's no conflicts with, um, you know, uh, font size, you know, like, okay, the, this letter is going to get cut off when the book, you know, when the, when the book gets uh, published or, you know, this, this isn't going to fit here. So I think they're kind of, um, uh, they're kind of limited by that. And on the flip, like, I, you know, I know we're, we're kind of complaining now about the the publishing process, but, Honestly, you know, we're, into, we're self-publishing, independent publishing, and, you know, I know people that have written books, with, you know, have submitted to a publisher, had it, you know, published, and pretty much everybody that I talked to when I was writing Abandon basically said, don't, you know, just if you can do it yourself, do it yourself, because the publisher, you know, you're going to get less money and, you know, you have less control and I think I'm, you know, I'm pretty happy with the way things turned out. I think, you know, especially, you know, actually <laughs> abandoned is really, uh, has really almost exceeded my expectations as far as uh, sales and, and, and popularity goes. Uh, I think I had in my mind, I was like, I want to sell about, a th- I'd be happy if it sold a thousand. And I think we're past that now, probably well past that. And, you know, you don't, you don't, need a publisher anymore to do that kind of stuff you know you can you can publish your own stuff and you know i know um there was some criticism about uh you know like uh the editing like oh these you know you you know the these self-publishers you know they don't have you know uh access to uh, professional editors you know i've read books by stephen king that had errors in them i've read books by dean koontz that had errors in them you know i i don't understand you know there's gonna be it's gonna happen no matter who you are
1: Yeah. Well, you know, when I'm editing, I am not an editor. I'm not. All I am is someone with an education. You know, not... I don't have a doctorate or a master's or anything, but I do have education, and I love to read, even though I don't really write that much. I do write a lot of reports for work, but I I do love to read. And when I'm editing the book, I am looking for grammatical errors, you know, missing periods. But really, I'm reading, and if I can handle the flow, like, I... When I'm reading, is the book stopping me? Like when I'm reading, am I like, wait a minute, what is he trying to say here? Or, you know, what is this conveying? As long as it's flowing smoothly, as far as I'm concerned, who cares if you're yeah. using the right there, there, and there, you
0: know? Well, that's a, that's another thing too, is those people that are being that critical of it, are they mistaking style for mistakes? You know, um, a friend of mine, you know, that I, I went to school with, uh, you know, we both were really into uh, Steve, not Stephen King, Dean Koontz books when we were in high school. And I remember having the conversation with him and he was like, he had a different English teacher than I did. And he was like, man, if, if Miss so-and-so saw, you know, cause Dean Koontz, he just does whatever the hell he wants. He had like one word sentences, you know, like he just, and he just had a certain style that, that he wrote in and it didn't necessarily follow all the rules, but it got the story across. I understood what he was trying to say. I, you know, I got it. And I kind of feel the same way, like if, okay, well, maybe it doesn't follow the rule, but as long as you understand what the writer's trying to convey, you know, it's fine. And, you know, mistakes happen, you know, not everything gets caught by the, you know, the word, uh, autocorrect and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I, I'm pretty forgiving when it comes to stuff like that generally. Um, cause I know now, especially that I've had some experience in it and I know that they can happen um now if it's like if it it gets to the point where you're like i'm having problems reading this because of all the errors then that's one thing but if it's just like oh you know that should have been a comma (laughs) you know it's not that big of a deal
1: yeah it is actually kind of odd that when i think about it that we put this set of rules on what i would be considered to be creative writing it's like okay go ahead and write what you want to write but don't forget about all these minute rules that are almost impossible to memorize. (laughs) It it doesn't, it's kind of, um, counterproductive, but yeah, you're right. As long as you can understand what you're reading and you're enjoying it, what does it matter if the comma's in the wrong place? But, um,
0: yeah, well, that's another thing too. Like in those author groups that I'm a, a member of, you know, I see people ask questions all the time, just like, you know, that, that just seem ridiculous to me. They're like, can I, you know, they're like, can I write a story about a elf that gets lost in, you know, the forest and is found by a truck driver and becomes, you know, a truck driving elf. And I mean, they're like, are you, I don't understand. Are you asking permission? Because <laughs> you can write whatever you want and you can write it. However you want. My, nobody might want to read it, but you can write whatever you want. And I see these kind of questions in there, and it just baffles my mind i one of these days I might just be like, "Are you asking permission if you can write this story, or are you just asking if somebody would have any interest in this story because I am confused?
1: Maybe they're just asking whether <laughs> or not it's a good idea to write about it like is this does this sound like a good idea?"
0: yeah, but I mean i I always see posts like that, and it just it baffles me because I'm like, well, do these people not like do they really think they need to ask permission if they can write this story?" Hmm.
1: Well, are there any authors out there or <clears throat> books that inspired you to become a writer yourself?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I mentioned Dean Koontz earlier. I uh, was a big fan of Dean Koontz growing up. Uh, I haven't read anything of his recently. Uh, same with Stephen King. You know, I like Stephen King growing up. Uh, haven't read anything of his recently. Um, I think I mentioned on the last show that I put out, I've been reading a lot of um, uh, a lot of, uh like biographies and and stuff from um, military people, you know, special, special operators that have been putting out uh, their basically uh, stories. And uh, I've really been enjoying those. Uh, I'm currently reading. uh, And as far as fiction goes, I'm reading, it's almost the same thing, but it's fiction is uh, the Jack Carr terminalist series. So that's pretty good. And we just watched the, the, the show that I really enjoyed. It was very good. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And and if you, if you want to hear something cool, you got to listen to Jack Carr talk about how he got his book published and got the show like running. It's, it's actually, it's pretty incredible how things just seem to fall into place and the people that he met through other people that he knew. And it, it just, it really almost makes you think like, man, that was meant to happen. Like that was, that was somehow, that was preordained and that was going to happen no matter what because he knew this guy that knew like this guy that is a famous author and got his book looked at and they loved it. And it's just kind of funny how that kind of stuff kind of falls into place.
1: Well, you managed to answer my next question without me asking you, was what book are you currently reading? And now we know. So my last question for you is, what book is next for you writing wise, not you reading? (laughs) What are you writing next?
0: Uh, Well, like I said, I think I've already started on it. I'm going to write um, a bunch of stories, uh, cop stories from back when I was in law enforcement. Uh, Most of them are going to be mine, but I'm going to write some stories, some other people's stories that were told to me, uh, some that I find really entertaining. And uh, it's going to be kind of a a book of, an anthology book of uh, cop stories. And I don't have a title for it yet. I I was thinking of... um, Alaskops, but I don't think that's going to be, that's not going to work. Uh, you know, Alaskawatch, Alaskops. I thought that would be kind of funny. Uh, but I think I'm going to come back, come up with something a little bit more, um, pedestrian, something that's a little bit easier fit for, uh, the general public's consumption. I wanted to call it no shit. There I was, cause I like to start all my stories like that. But, uh, not only is there already books out there by that name, but uh, I don't think that would be fit for public consumption as well. So I've I haven't I haven't got a name yet. And it's funny because a lot of times I'll come up with the name first and then write the book. I think I did with Abandoned and I think I did with uh, Squatch Cop as well. Although Abandoned, I had actually, I think, pitched to Steven as maybe a possible title for In Search of the Port Chatham Harry Man. And he didn't like it, so I, I saved it for my book. <laughs>
1: so do you think this book is going to include... And of course I'm going to use this wonderful title, the good, the bad and the ugly. Are you just going to do humor or are you going to tell the dark side?
0: Uh, I think I'm probably going to have a few stories in there that are probably a little, a, or kind counter downers. Um, I, obviously I'm not going to get too far in the weeds as far as like talking about certain cases and stuff like, that. especially there's a few that are still pending out there that I probably shouldn't write about. But, uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, most of them are probably going to be kind of funny, and some of them are going to be <laughs> um, action-packed. Some of them are going to be just, you know, kind of bittersweet. And uh, some of them I think I'm probably going to uh, just focus on. I mean, like a lot of people have no idea the kind of stuff that police officers go through or have to deal with. Um, I mean, just... Some of the insane things that people call nine one (laughs) one for, and I would like to to put some of that in there, just so maybe to give people an idea of like you got you know you got to be kidding me they called nine one one for that, so I think some of that's going to go in there. Uh, Probably probably not going to be too much in there in the way of um, you know death or anything like that. Probably more more cynical stories.
1: Yeah, I guess you don't want to um, traumatize people too much. (laughs) Leave that for the professionals. But, okay, I think that's it for me as far as uh, interviewing you. I think we we covered uh, quite a few things. Uh, What would you like to talk about next?
0: Well, I wanted to ask you about your editing process. Did you approach editing this book differently than you did the first one? Did you use any different resources? Like, did you come across any... Anything that helped you edit this book maybe quicker than it did uh, Abandon? or,
1: You know, I think one of the differences between the two books is the first one was definitely more storytelling. So when I was reading it, I really could picture in my mind the stories you were telling. You know, it was like playing like a movie in my head and I, perhaps maybe that wasn't always a good thing maybe it distracted me from the more stricter grammar side of things but i'd like to think you know we did a pretty good job on your first book you know it wasn't it wasn't easy you know like i said i'm not an editor by nature i'd like to think you know i did a pretty decent job Um, and as far as this book goes because it was more textbook i think i was almost able to focus a little bit more on the grammar side of it i don't know it, it did feel a little different when I was uh, reading it. And I was able to break it down a little bit more as far as some of the, some of your style. You know, I was being really picky about when you were discussing dates. You know, you, you give an example uh, case uh, file and I was checking your dates like crazy. And I was, I was writing it down and double checking and making sure you had it right. And, <laughs> and I don't know. I think maybe this time around it was weird. It felt easier, but then it was also harder. I don't know how to describe it, but um, I enjoy editing your books. I mean, that part's good. But basically, like I said, all I do is read. And unless something stops me in my tracks, I call it good. <laughs> unless something's staring at me in the face, that is, is that an error, grammatical error.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not, uh, i not, I don't think I'm a very good editor. I don't think I would be good at it and you know even going back and because as I I edit as I write or well that's not necessarily true I try to correct as I write I wouldn't necessarily say I edit and sometimes I'll see I'll go back and read it and I'll be like how in the hell did I miss that you know like that's such a glaring error and uh, it's always good to have somebody come along and and go over it and you can't I don't think you could catch everything you know ever I mean, there's always, like I said, Steve, Stephen King and Dean Coons I've found error in their books and they have, you know, professional publishers behind them and editors. So I don't know. I think, um, it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting art, you know, writing and, um, I haven't got to fiction yet, <laughs> you know, um, although there was some, you know, fictionalized accounts and, and, uh, abandoned, but, um, I think eventually I'm going to, I'm going to write a fiction book. I don't, I haven't quite figured out what it's going to be, but uh, I'm curious to to see what that process is going to be like, where you're basically world building, you know, like right now, everything's been based in reality and where I've written about things that I've done and places I've been, and eventually I'm going to have to make up a place to write about. And that's going to be kind of, kind of interesting to see how that process goes, you know.
1: That sounds daunting, but also fun, especially if you already have an idea in mind. You know, you've already sent me a few short stories and I've read them and enjoyed them and I've already started correcting them. (laughs) I was reading them and I'm like, oh, we need a comma here or, oh, he put the period in the wrong place. He stopped short here. So I'm already editing the short stories you're sending me for review. (laughs) So uh, I think it's going to be fun.
0: Yeah. And let's see. You got anything else?
1: Um, just, I think you mentioned about Gatlinburg, but I think maybe you should talk about where people can actually buy your book.
0: Yeah, well, uh, we were going to get, get oh, okay. into that. Yeah. yeah,
1: I think that's it as far as questions go.
0: Awesome. So, uh, yeah, so Squatch Cop, investigating and documenting the Bigfoot phenomenon. Oh, I wanted to also touch on, I knew there was something else. Uh, when I first started to write the book, I had this idea in my head that I was going to include pictures because I thought, man, you know, I should really, since it's kind of a textbook, I should include some pictures. And then as I got to writing the book and I got into it, I'm like, you know, what am I going to put a picture of? You know, am I going to put a picture of me like putting on a glove and picking something up and putting it in a bag or, you know, taking a swab and swab? you know, you've seen that stuff on TV, you know, it's, it's pretty, I think, self-explanatory. But that being said, uh, if somebody out there picks up the book and reads through it and says, man, that, you know, I like this but i want to see i would like to have seen the illustration of this or that um let me know because i'm thinking about maybe doing a series of youtube videos that um demonstrate some of the stuff in the in the book because i think some of it although i think i articulated it pretty well and it's pretty easy to understand uh you know everybody learns differently there are people that learn but i am i can read something and pick it up some people have to do it you know I like to do and, it myself, not just yeah. be told how to do it. And other people, you know, are visual. So if somebody picks up the book and you think, man, I I, I get it, but I think I would get it better if there was a visual representation, uh, let me know because I'm thinking about doing a series of YouTube videos that kind of touches on some of the subjects in the book, you know, almost like a companion, a companion series of videos. Uh, and maybe, you know, okay, we'll we'll walk through – Uh, swabbing something for DNA. We'll walk through uh, collecting a physical piece of evidence, something like that. Um, Because like I said, my initial intent was to have pictures, but then I thought, well, I think I do a good enough job to articulate it. I don't have to take a picture of me putting something in a bag (laughs) for people to understand that the evidence goes in the bag or set likewise with, with uh, swabbing something for DNA. Uh, And then, you know, there's the interview and interrogation stuff. There's, that's not really something that Photographs, well, that's more of a of an audio thing. I think maybe we could do a, maybe a a video or something of somebody of an interview or something like that. But yeah, I I, I kind of I'm curious to get people's take on that. Do they feel that there should have been pictures in the book or not?
1: Well, you know, one thing we didn't realize until we were at the point where you were uploading it onto right. Amazon, you know, Kindle, was um. It's a larger book. And apparently um, they want you to change your margins. Cause I think we had the book at what, 174 pages or something. And then we go to upload it and it's like, oh, book this size, your margins have to be like this. And we had to adjust the margins and that shot so many paragraphs onto different pages and there were unnecessary. It was interesting. I think perhaps this next book, what we'll do is once we have an idea of how big it is, we're going to check to see what margins Amazon wants to have before we actually upload it. Because do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> it made us make all those changes.
0: Yeah. But, and that's, that's one of the, like well, we were talking about the limitations on the design, the, the cover design, stuff like that. You know, there's definitely some cons to self-publishing, but I think the pros outweigh the cons.
1: Oh yeah, definitely for sure. Yeah.
0: And, and I mean, that's another thing too, you know, like just when, you know, you can, when you're finished with the book, like done, done, like it's edited and and finished, you can have it, uh, you know, ready for publication in you know, a week, two weeks, you know, tops probably. Whereas if you're dealing with a publisher, you know, you're looking at, probably months if not longer so anyway um i think we've ex exhausted all our topics on books (laughs) and writing and uh we're going to talk about uh where we're going to be and where you can buy squatch cop so uh as we said earlier here on july 23rd we're going to be in gatlinburg tennessee for the smoky mountain bigfoot conference we're going to have a booth i believe actually we're going to be in space e4 i believe that's right i'm not sure but i that sounds correct i think we got a corner table somewhere and uh there's going to be a lot of great guests there uh jeff meldrum's going to be there uh i think most of the cast from expedition bigfoot's going to be there russ accords going to be there um in fact they just um they just added Alexander Petikoff I believe he's going to speak. Uh, he's taken somebody's place. I think they had to drop out. Um, I know the Small Town Monsters guys are going to be there. Um, Stacy Brown's going to be there. From, oh, I uh, liked him. Yeah, the, the uh, skunk ape guy. Uh, we've seen him a couple times. He's He's got a couple of good documentaries out there. He was in a movie, too, with Tom Green. Did I tell you about that? Yeah. yeah, no,
1: we saw that. Uh, uh, the trailer.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I think it's going to be a good time. It's just a one day event. I think it's just that Saturday. And, uh, I believe they still have some general admission tickets available, but I think all the VIP stuff is sold out. Um, there's, there's a lot of stuff that sold out with that. So, uh, I think you, I think as of right now, you can still show up and get in. But, uh, if you're on the fence of going, you might want to check it out and maybe buy a ticket now. And, uh, also you can go to the website, alaskwatchpodcast.com and you can order a copy of Squatch Cop from there and if you order it from there uh, I will autograph it and send it to you. It's going to straight from the uh, the studio here. It's going to go in an envelope and go into the post office here and it's going to come straight from Alaska to wherever you're at uh, but do keep in mind though, as I just said we're going to Gatlinburg for the conference here so uh, the store is going to be the Alaska watch store is going to be uh, shut down for a little bit. Uh,
1: well, not shut down, but we're not going to be shipping items until we get back on the 27th.
0: Right. So, I mean, you can still get on there and, and place any as order as much as you want. Uh, but we're not going to be here to get it out until I believe, did you say the 27th? The 27th. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And up till I think the 18th. Mm-hmm. So if you get on there right now and order it, <laughs> you can get it here in just a few days. Um, but then from the 18th on you got to wait till we get back from the conference and you can also pick up a copy on amazon uh and it won't be autographed but um you might get free shipping with it on amazon if you if you're a member of prime you can also download the kindle version on amazon and uh you know don't forget about my book abandoned the history and horror report chatham alaska it's uh, still available on uh Amazon. It's still available in the Alasquatch store podcast and uh, you can get a autographed version of that as well from the Podcast.com. and also um, we have eBay on eBay. We have uh, abandoned up. I don't think we have Squatch Cop on there yet. Up it yet. will be this weekend. Uh, but yeah, if you don't, uh, for whatever reason I don't know. I I think there's some people that uh, that don't like to buy stuff through the website and they don't trust Amazon but they'll buy it through eBay.
1: Well, and if they buy it on eBay... Um, they can get it personalized.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you buy it from the Alasquatch store on eBay, you can get it personalized. Um, so make sure you're buying it from the right person on eBay. If you you know buy somebody's used copy or something, uh, you might not be able to get it personalized by me. So you got to make sure you're buying it from the Alaska Watch store on eBay. And uh, anything else?
1: Um. no, I think that's it. I think we're done talking about, uh, your wonderful books.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So come see us in uh, in Gatlinburg. I think... Is that... That's going to be it, huh? Let's... We don't um, have any conferences.
1: I think that's about it this year because I don't know. You've got... You've got plans here I'm sure you're going to talk about in the future, you know, real some real long expeditions planned, and I'm really busy, so I don't really have uh, time to go um, anywhere. This is kind of my, my one trip this year. Um, just look for the two pale people uh, who are sweating really hard, because have you seen how hot it's supposed to be while we're there?
0: Uh, it'll be all right. I'm pretty sure they're going to have air conditioning in there. <laughs>
1: yeah, I hope so. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I think that might be it, unless something pops up. I mean, you might go, but I think I'm probably going to be tapped out.
0: <laughs> yeah, unless we get uh, some kind of secret squirrel invite, I don't think we're going to be going to any more conferences this year. I think I'm going to try and focus on, um, you know, getting out in the woods and, and, and doing stuff and um, less on conferences. But uh, maybe next year, I know uh, we're going to have the Boreal Bigfoot Expo uh, next, I think June, uh, I don't have the dates in front of me, but, uh, we'll get them out there. I think we are, we do have some dates set aside though. Uh, if you want to save the date, uh, I believe I have those on my Facebook page on the Alaska Watch podcast, Facebook page, but, uh, that's going to be here in Fairbanks, Alaska. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be an awesome time. I had a great time at the last one and, uh, there was a lot more people there. And I thought, and hopefully this next one we have, I think there's going to be even more people there. So you, uh, you guys can find us on the Alaskawatch watch page or the last watch page. I've been talking too long. I'm starting to stutter. The Alaska watch podcast.com website. You can find us on Facebook, uh, and Instagram. Uh, you know, I don't think too many people that listen to the podcast are aware of my, uh, I'm, I'm a Bigfoot meme Lord. Uh, <laughs> this is true. I, I, uh, I've been making, uh, and, and producing Bigfoot memes for a while now. And they've actually, uh, some of them have gone viral. And have uh, gotten pretty popular. And uh, occasionally, I'll be scrolling through a Bigfoot group somewhere else, and I'll see that somebody else has posted one. Which is fine. I love that. Bigfoot memes are made for sharing. Uh, just for the love of God, please don't. You know, I put my logo on all my memes. Uh, don't mark that out. That's that's bad etiquette. That's bad internet etiquette.
1: It's just rude. Yeah. You're on TikTok too. If you want to see um, some fun uh, game trail videos, you put all your game trail videos on there
0: yeah on TikTok Uh, and instagram i've got some on instagram Instagram. i've got some on uh, tiktok although i don't i don't do as much on tiktok as i probably should Mm. i don't know i'm a little bit of a a little bit of a late bloomer for for that kind of stuff Mm. a little bit of a boomer but um yeah i'm on most of the social medias Um,
1: you're a social butterfly i
0: am (laughs) i'm the most introverted social social uh, media person you'll ever see Anyway, guys, uh, thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. And uh, check out Squatch Hop. If you uh, enjoy it, please leave it a review on whatever platform you purchased it from. Uh, and that being said, uh, have a great summer. And we will probably see you be back on here again when we get back from uh, the Smoky Mountain Bigfoot Conference. So We're
1: going to talk all about it.
0: Yeah. this is uh, This is probably it for a while. So be safe out there. Thank you.